I will answer thee. So we need to call out and ask him those things and, and be in prayer there. Um, tonight, I want to continue our study. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to pick up at verse number 11. It says, I'm become a fool in glorying. You have compelled me. So Paul has been glorying. He's been bragging a little bit. He said, I'm not going to brag on myself on anything except my infirmities. But Paul did tell us some things about himself, and we'll look at that more in just a minute. But Paul has told us some things that we wouldn't have otherwise known. And he says, I'm a fool for doing that. And he says, the reason I did that, you compelled me. He said, I've been kind of forced to say some things. He said, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. He says, I'm nothing at all, but I'm as much as any other apostle. I'm not lagging back in powers. He says, truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein you were inferior to other churches? Except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you. And then he says, forgive me this wrong. Father, I pray you'd move in this place. God, I pray you'd move through the, the live stream, through the airways. God, I pray you'd take your word and you'd teach it. God, I pray you'd make it clear. I ask you to bless us as your church. God, I pray you'd help us, Father, to be a lighthouse to this community. God, I thank you for the 40,000 pounds of chicken sitting out there in a truck that we'll be able to give to the people of this community tomorrow. I thank you for the 10 pallets of fresh produce coming in here in the morning that we'll be able to give to the people of this community, God. I pray you'd help us as a church, God, to be a lighthouse to this community. Help us to be a blessing, God. I pray you'd help us to reach the lost in this town, to feed the hungry, God, to minister to the poor. I pray you'd help us, God, that, that we would reach the hurting, Father. Help us to be an anchor, a stronghold for those that are in storms, God. I pray you'd use us, Father. I pray you'd help us to be a blessing right here in this place where you put us, God. I pray you'd make us a mighty fortress. But tonight, God, I pray you'd speak to your people. God, I pray you'd speak through this word. I pray you'd take this letter that you wrote to us through the hand of the Apostle Paul. And you teach us, God. Help us to be better Christians, better servants, God. We just want to be, be pleasing to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see here, as I just mentioned, Paul is kind of pushed into saying all of these things. He says that, that he's compelled. He's compelled by the people. So he's kind of kind of shoved into it. But, you know, we talked about it a few weeks ago. It's really good that it happened this way, that he was kind of pushed into telling us all the many things that he's told us because he had, had he not told us these things here. There's so many things about the Apostle Paul that if we didn't have in these past few chapters that we would have never even known about him um, because of the information that he gives us. But Paul says something here in verse number 12 um, that I really want to take a look at for just a minute. He said, truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you. He, he says, he goes and says, in signs, in wonders, and in mighty deeds. You know, when it comes to talking about miracles, the Bible is very sparing. The Bible does not spend a lot of time talking about all of the miracles that have been done in the past by mighty men of God, even by Jesus Christ himself. We know that the only thing that we're given recorded of the Lord Jesus Christ is less than 40 miracles. But John 21, 25 says that there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose, that not even the world itself could not contain the books that it should be written. 
So the Bible is actually very sparing when it comes to talking about all of the miracles. When Jesus sent the the disciples out, he gave them amazing powers. They were giving apostolic powers. And that's what Paul is talking about here. The things that were done among you, the signs of an apostle, signs and wonders. When Jesus sent the disciples out, Matthew chapter 10, verse number 7, he said, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give. Now, Jesus would not have told them to do something if he did not fully equip them to do it. That means that Jesus gave them the power to heal the sick, to cleanse the leper. And, you know, it's even a part of the Bible that no man cleanses leprosy but God. It had never been done before Christ comes. He gave them power to raise the dead. I'm just reading the book. He gave them power to cast out devils. That that means that God gave the apostles power over all unclean spirits that in the name of Jesus they had to flee. So he gave them all of this this power. We see some examples of it. Um, When Peter and John are going into the gate of the temple called Beautiful and the, the lame man is sitting there at the gate and he's asking alms and Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He, he didn't say, let's call on Jesus. Oh, I wish Jesus were here. Man, I wish they hadn't already crucified him. Hey, can I just pray with you and maybe God will show up? No. He said, in the name of Jesus, get up. Stop laying there. And, and by power, he commanded the lame man to walk. So, so that, that's an incredible miracle. That's the kind of apostolic powers that these men had. That's the kind that the Apostle Paul is talking about. To be honest, there's very little mention of the many miracles that would have been done here in the Bible. Acts chapter 8, verse number 5, it says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse number 7 says, For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. So we see him casting out evil spirits. And many taken with palsies, that would have been sicknesses, and many, it says, that were lame, were healed, and there was great joy in the city. God doesn't spend a lot of time filling a book with miracles. As the Scripture said, the world couldn't contain the books of the things that had been done. But God doesn't spend a lot of time trying to sell himself to us by the power of miracles. At no point does the Word of God ever try to prove God or God's authority or God's supremacy or anything about God. It does give us some examples, but those are simply things that we can use for our study. God's not looking for a relationship with us that had to be bought by us, It had to be pried into us by telling us of the thousands of miracles that He's done to get us to believe. God is looking for a relationship with us because we simply trust Him. He's looking for a relationship with you and I by faith. One thing, though, that is obvious here in our text is that the last time the Apostle Paul was there, he did some great and mighty miracles in their presence. They saw some things. Did they see the dead raised? I don't know. Did they see the lame walk? I don't know. Did they see the blind see? I don't know. But I do know they could have seen every one of these things. 
Because the Apostle Paul, being the Apostle Paul, had apostolic powers and had the ability to do all of these things. And Paul says, you've seen them for yourselves. The emphasis here is on words like he says, signs. The word signs comes from a Greek word. It means supernatural wonders. But then he uses the word wonders, which also is interpreted to mean supernatural miracles. So the emphasis is placed not on the sign or on the wonder. The emphasis is placed on the supernatural power that it took to do the miracles. The word that he uses here for mighty deeds, it comes from a word that's translated to mean power and strength. So, so Paul says, you've seen the power of God right before your eyes. When I was there, you saw the power of God move mountains, do great and mighty things. It's obvious that many of the people there in the church that Paul um, had founded, these are people that Paul himself had led, many of them to the Lord. They were there. They saw these things that he's talking about. So, so Paul not only preached the gospel to him when he was there, but he says, I wrought many miracles. I did many things in front of you. In verse number 11, he says, even though I'm nothing, I'm just as much as any other apostle. Because that was a big stink. Some of them heralded Peter and different ones, different things. And he said, I have the same power as any other. I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. And the reason Paul is so reluctant here to talk about himself is because Paul does not preach Paul. Paul preaches Christ. That's what you and I ought to preach. Paul wants to say nothing about self. He's kind of like, why are we spending time talking about Paul? Paul can't save you. Paul can't do anything for you. It's the power of God, and it's Jesus Christ that saves souls. But he kind of got caught up talking a little bit about himself. In verse number 12, he says, you've seen it for yourselves. In verse number 13, he says, for what is it wherein you were inferior to other churches, except to be that I myself was not burdensome to you? <coughs> then he says, forgive me this wrong. What is it that would make this Corinthian church feel inferior to other churches? Well, he says that I was not burdensome to you. If you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the fact that Paul says, I took no money from you. I, I took nothing from you coming in. No man can say that, that they sustained me or they took care of me or they provided me. I've taken nothing from any of you. Apparently, it must have made some of them feel inferior. It must have felt like they weren't, maybe they felt like they weren't able to take part in sustaining. You, you know, it's Christians the, the Word of God teaches us very clearly that we are to tithe. The first 10% belongs to God. To not pay the first 10% is to rob God. And then it talks about offering, and it talks about supporting the missionaries, which Paul talks about there in Philippians, especially verse four and, or chapter 4 and verse 19. So we as Christians, the Holy Spirit that is in us urges us. There, there is a need within us. We have a, a need. We have a sense within us that wants to obey the scriptures. We don't want to lie. We don't want to cheat. We don't want to cuss. We, we don't want to steal. We don't want to do anything contrary to the laws of God. That's the Holy Spirit that's in us. And we want to do only what is within the laws of God. One of the things that is within the laws of God is to give to the church and to help take care. And so it's almost like Paul says, maybe I took that away from you. You wanted to take care of me. You wanted to do some things, but 
I didn't allow you to do those things. And if the Holy Spirit convicted you to give to me, I, I remember I've shared this story with you before, but I remember that man in Virginia when I was traveling and preaching, and I told him not to take up a love offering. I wasn't there for me. I, I owned a business. I was there to raise support for the children's home. And the older gentleman, early 80s, come up, they took up a love offering anyway, a very, a, a very big love offering for a Sunday night in Virginia in a little country church. But when he shook my hand, I could tell his money in his hand. I said, I want you to know I greatly appreciate it. I really do. But I'd appreciate it if you'd keep that. And, and he told me, he said, son, you've got a good heart. And people are going to believe what you say because you believe what you say. But here's what he said. You've got to learn to swallow your pride. Let God take care of you. And he handed me that money. I, I learned something that day. I don't know if that gentleman is still even alive, but I know one thing. God used him to teach me a lesson. When God is sending me a blessing, shut my mouth and take it because I don't know what tomorrow holds. It might have been the last $20 to feed my family for all I know. It's almost like the Apostle Paul has learned something. Apparently, those of the church at Corinth felt as though they were cheated out of an opportunity to be a blessing. That's what that man told me that night. He said, you're not going to cheat me out of a blessing. <clears throat> but, but here in verse number 14, he goes on to explain the reasons for his action. He says, I plan to come to you a third time. But he says, I plan to do the same thing, and here's the reasons why. Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. He says, I'm not looking for the things you have. I'm not looking for your money. I'm looking for you. I'm not looking for you to take care of me. I'm not looking for you to provide for me. I'm looking for you to follow Christ. I'm looking for you to step up and be a blessing to the church. I'm not looking for my, It's the same thing with God. God's not looking for your money. God don't need your money. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills and the thousand hills and the earth and the universe and all that there is. God's not looking for your money. He doesn't need your money. But I can tell you this, if you're holding on to your money, it's because God doesn't have your heart. If you're not willing to share the things that God has given you and do according to the Scripture, it's because God doesn't have your heart. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. God wants you. But if God has our heart, then what is in us will make us want to be obedient to the commandments of the Word of God. I don't know why I'm in all that. I promise I'm not preaching on tithing. Thank you all very much that continue to tithe and those of you that aren't want to. Faithofgrains.com, and you're certainly welcome to give. We won't turn it back. Sorry. Verse number 14, he, he says, I seek not yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Paul sees these as children of God. He sees them as his spiritual children. God, Paul led the greatest majority probably of these in that church, at least for the first part of the time, to Christ himself. He sees them as spiritual children, the ones that he led to Christ. And, and he says, I'm, I'm not looking for your money. I'm just looking for your heart. Verse number 15, he says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Man, that, that is a Christ-like love for people. That is the kind of love that you and I need for each other. That is the kind of love that we need for every church in LaGrange, in Troop County, in West Georgia, East Alabama, in the country, around the world. That is the kind of love that we need to have for people. That, that is a cross kind of love right there that, that Paul writes in that statement. He says, I will gladly spend every dime that I have to take care of you. I will spend every ounce of energy. I will give my being 
I will give all that I have for you. That's what he said. I will barely gladly spend and be spent for you. That means I'll spend all my money and myself, my, my energy. I will be spent for you. But here's what he says. Even though the more I love you, the less I'm loved. The more I do for you, the more I'm condemned. The more I give for you, the more I'm crucified. That's what he says. Though I spend to be spent, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'll be loved. Verse number 16, but be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make gain of you by any of them whom I sent to you? Paul has sent Timothy to him, and Timothy's brought back a report. Paul has sent Titus to him along with another brother, and we spent a good bit of time looking at that portion earlier in the letter here in our study of 2 Corinthians. But he says, I didn't send either one of them to get money from you for me. I didn't send anything to take up a collection to bring back. You can rest assured of this. If Paul sent Timothy and Paul sent Titus and another brother, when Paul sent someone out in his stead, Paul didn't send them out broke. Paul sent them out with his own credit card in the hand. Well, maybe that was a little ahead of time. Paul sent them out with everything that they needed to sustain. He sent them out with money for room and board. He would have sent them out with money for food. He would have sent them out with money for any unexpected thing that might come up. And he would have given them this. They would have went out with money in their hand, extra money. So if they saw somebody that needed a blessing, make sure you extend the love of Christ. The Apostle Paul did not send people out to be beggars. He didn't send them out to go out and be a moocher. He didn't send them into a people for the people to be burdened by and have to take care of them. He sent people out to be a blessing to the people. So, so you can rest assured, Paul took care of these that he sent out. And he says, I didn't send them to you to ask for money. They didn't come to you looking for anything. They didn't come to be a burden. They brought you blessings. Verse number 18, he says, I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? Again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. So Paul had something to say about his past, but then Paul has something to say about his present there. The same thing is true now that was true then. We do all things for your benefit. We do all things for your edifying. We do all things for your strengthening, to pull you up, to teach you, to lift you, to help you, to try to pull you forward in your walk with Christ. Paul has only one ambition. It has always been the same, and it's the same thing now. It is to help them grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to help them grow spiritually, to help them grow up to be stronger Christians, stronger in their faith, stronger in the Lord. He wanted them to grow up. Remember, this is all stemmed because of a bunch of troublemakers in the church, a bunch of loudmouths in the church, some of those that are sowing discord in the church. Paul says, I want you to grow up. I don't want to have to spoon feed you. I don't want you eating milk all the time. I want you to grow in Christ so that you can put these troublemakers out, so that you know how to close your ears to what's not. You know what's true and what's not true. If it's not true, close your ears to it. Put them out. Don't listen to that stuff. Paul wants them to learn how to grow up and take those things that people are saying, the naysayers and the troublemakers, write them off and pay that no attention, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, and tell others about Jesus in the process so that others might be saved. 
See, it seems like it doesn't matter what Paul does for the church. It seems like it doesn't matter how much he does for the people of the church. It doesn't matter how much he pours himself into the life of the people of the church. There's always those who have something negative to say about him. That hasn't changed a whole lot, has it? So Paul spoke of the past and then of the present. Those of you that are doing so much work in the church, thank you so much. I probably need to stop right there. Uh, thank, thank you. Not just faith, but faith is, faith is my church. This is my home, not my church, my home. It's where God has put my family. And, and there's a lot of you. Y'all can't see it, but somebody snuck in here today and took down half of the Easter play props. I'm sure Paul Hutchins, some of his team would have had something to do with that. But there's a lot of work. There's a lot of guys will be working hard tomorrow to give out 40,000 pounds of chicken and 10 pallets of, of produce. And um, thank you to, to Pastor Jimmy Pruitt put the call in today to help us get the produce. There's so many people coming forward to help. There's so many that, that are doing the work of the Lord. God is, is using you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I, I know you got the ones behind you that say it's all for gain. All, just, just thank you. Um, just keep on doing what you do. You, you're some amazing children of God, and God's using so many of you in some mighty ways. <clears throat> but Paul has something to say about the future. Verse number 20. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would. That means... I'm afraid that when I get there, what I'm going to be looking for and what I'm going to find is going to be two different things. He says that I shall be found of you such as you would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Paul says, boy, I'm afraid of some things that I'm going to find when I come to the church. I, I'm, I'm afraid. See, Paul has not forgotten the second half of Titus's report. You remember several weeks back, Titus came, and we talked about, we just imagined how they were probably up all night long like, like a group of schoolgirls, pardon the expression, ladies, but up all night having a big time together and rejoicing and laughing over all the good things that God had done and all the amazing stuff. But it was almost like the next day he said, Paul, there's, there's some more stuff i got to tell you. I, I didn't want to be a killjoy right to start off with, but, but that's not the end of the story. Paul hasn't forgotten about that. Paul knows there's still that side of the story that has to be dealt with. Paul knows that those issues were still going on when Titus left, which means they've still been going on in the church. And Paul says, I'm coming back. I'm coming to you a third time, and here's some of the things that I plan to deal with. Now, I'm telling you now in this letter that I'm coming back, so you have time to do something about it, and I'm giving you plenty of time, and here's your advice. Get your house in order because I'm coming back to clean some things up within the church, and then he uses this word debates. That word debates comes from a Greek word that also means things like arguments or, or disagreements or contention. Paul says there's, there's too much arguing going in, going on in the church, that there's too much disagreement among the people within the church and paul says i'm gonna come looking for that kind of stuff and when i find that kind of stuff you gotta you gotta get right or get out paul says i'm gonna come in and clean up all that and i'm gonna deal with it when i get there 
But he also says that I'm going to be looking for things like envying. Envyings can be um, translated to nothing more than jealousy. Paul says you're putting too much thought into money. You're putting too much thought into material things. And that's one reason the great majority of the letter deals with money and materialistic things. Paul says you're putting too much thought in the wrong places. And then he says wrath. Wrath comes from a word that simply, um, it, ta- it kind of signifies outburst of anger, people people doing things in an outburst suddenly that leads to revenge. So he says some people are, are shooting out the mouth and, and they're sparking these, these outbursts, which creates revenge. And so you have those things going on in there. The word that Paul uses here is used 18 times in the New Testament. Ten of those 18 times are used in the book of Revelation. Seven of those ten times in the Revelation, the the word that Paul uses is referring to the wrath of God. And then Paul says, I'm going to be looking for strifes. It means provoked anger or prolonged arguing. Paul says that stuff has been going on long enough. Then he says, backbiting. I'll say this. If Paul killed backbitings in the church at Corinth, it snuck in somewhere else and climbed right on back in, and it's alive and well in 2020. Backbitings is simply one person saying something negative about another person when that person is not present. It's simply talking evil about someone. It's simply tearing someone down, tearing down their family, tearing down what they did or didn't do. It is simply someone talking to someone else in a negative attitude when that person's not. It's just talking behind their back, stabbing them in the back. Paul says, I'm coming there. There's no room for that stuff in the family of God. There's no room for that amongst the children of God. I'm going to clean house. I'm going to put a stop to some of that stuff. But then he uses a word. He says, whisperings. <laughs> if you want to get somebody to pay attention to what you got to say, all you got to do is whisper and don't make them part of the conversation. Turn your head a little bit and you act like you're whispering here. And they will take every human scent. They will take all of their sight, all of their smell, all of their feeling. They will take all of their human scent and plug it into one ear and point it like the $6 million man to listen for a pin drop from a 1,000 miles away. All you have to do if you want somebody's attention is whisper and pretend like you ain't talking to them. If you want somebody to believe what you're saying, all you have to do is whisper because it seems like everybody believes almost anything as long as it's whispered to them. I'll say this. If it's not important enough, if it's not true enough, if it's not kind enough to be spoken out loud, it probably doesn't need to be spoken at all. Paul finishes the sentence with swellings and tumults. And this is the only place in the Bible that we find this word here for swellings. It's used to describe people who are puffed up with pride or people who are conceited. They, they're kind of stuck on themselves. Paul knows that we have nothing to glory about. Paul says he has nothing to glory about, and he's probably one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. Paul knows that none of us have anything to glory about. Paul says if there's any kind of conceit going on, he says pride is a sin. Personal pride is a sin. And when I come back, I'm going to deal with that. So you need to start getting your house in order. And then tumult comes from a Greek word that means war. Jesus used the same Greek word, Luke chapter 21, verse 9, when he said, but ye shall hear of wars and commotions. Same word, 
that Paul used there for tumult. Same Greek word, but be not terrified, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not by and by. It gives us the idea of instability. It shows us that the church that Paul is writing to, it shows us that this this church, this field that the Apostle Paul is talking to, it shows us that, that it is somewhat of a battlefield, if you will. You, you have people who are backbiting and backstabbing and, and arguing, and you have all this stuff going on, and it's become somewhat of a battlefield within the church. Then no wonder Paul says, and I'm afraid he didn't come back there. I have no idea what I'm going to find. Based on what I've heard from the reports of the things that's going on, I have no idea. It's, it's almost like Paul is thinking of, of another place called Babel, you know, where their speech was confounded and nobody understood each other. It's almost like Paul says, I feel like I'm coming to a place where the speech has been altered and there's nothing but confusion. This is a church that the Apostle Paul himself has founded. The great majority of the members of this church, at least the early part of the church, are, are people and families and homes that the Apostle Paul has been to and stayed in and personally, one-on-one, -on -one, led these people to the Lord, founded this church, put someone there over it, and, and is wanting them to grow in, in the Lord and is wanting them to grow in love and compassion. And he sees what's going on, and, and Paul is heartbroken. Paul loves this church. Paul loves these people, but he loves them too much to sugarcoat the truth. Paul says, I'm coming there. And when I come there, I'm going to put a stop to some of this stuff. I'm going to get it out. There are some things going on that do not belong in the house of God. And all of this stuff is garbage, and it's got to go. There's a judgment day coming for the Christians. Jesus says, I'm coming. We can be excited about that. He's coming to get us. We, we know that. We'll all be caught up. We, we, we read about it in, in the church, in the letter to the church at Thessalonica. And we know that Jesus is coming to call him. We'll meet him in the clouds in the air. He says that he's coming, that his reward is with him. We know that the reward is in his hand. But something you need to remember, before you get to rewards, there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. The Christians are going to stand accountable. And all of the things that Paul just mentioned right here, they're all going to be brought up. Jesus is going to be looking at all of them. All that little backstabbing, mm -hmm. that stuff's going to have a spotlight. All that little whispering over here, mm -hmm. that stuff's going to have a spotlight on it. Anybody sowing discord amongst the brethren? These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven is an abomination. He that soweth discord among the brethren. There's going to be some rewards in his hand. And here he is with his big old hand full of all your rewards. But then when he starts going down the checklist of the backbiting and the backstabbing and the sowing discord, he says our works will be tried as by fire. And as our works are tried by fire, the things that we did for the glory of God will be um, gold, precious jewels, but the things that we did for self or the things that we did and, and we did them with wrong intent, those are wood, hay, and stubble. Those things will burn up. And here's the rewards. We will suffer loss. Some of the rewards that you might have did some things that you would have gotten, you're not going to get because you spent your time doing things that had to be. See, Paul says, I'm coming. He says there's a whole lot of things going on 
in the church. He, he says, I'm going to go over those things, and I'm going to get those things out of the church. And if you're in those things, you're going to be pointed out in those things. But here's what he doesn't say. He says, I'm coming, but he doesn't say exactly when. Anybody get the relationship? Joseph, you got the comparison, right? You're the only one in there. Somebody shake your head. I love these pieces of paper that say preach it, and that's right, but they don't talk back to me. They don't say anything. I know somebody out there had to get the comparison. Jesus is coming. He's coming as an amen. Thank you for an amen in the house. We, man, we're going to make a, we're going to make a, what, what do they call it? A, we're going to make an amen corner out of Joseph. I'm going to have one amen corner in the house. Philip, I'm going to get an amen out of you before this is all said and done. Not two people in the house. We're going to have to learn amen and hallelujah. There's a comparison there. Jesus is coming back. And there is a judgment day coming. So the, the things that you whisper, the things that you think you're getting away with, we're not getting away with anything. The bottom line is we need to live our lives every day pure and holy before God. We need to avoid. We need to stay clear of. We need to get away from all of the ungodly things that will pull us down so that we might be found pleasing to God when he comes to get us. I don't want God to have to spend a whole lot of time pointing out all of my wrongs. That's a good devotion. Every day, do everything you can pleasing to God as though Christ were coming back today. Live each day as though we're looking for him. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave off there. Um, Lord willing, next week we'll pick up um, probably in chapter 13. We'll probably just move. I'm not going to expound. Probably a lot on verse 21, maybe. We'll see. That's seven days away. Jesus, don't come get us. Um, we'll pick up then. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your hope. Thank you for your compassion. I thank you, God, that right now, God, I can have any of those in my life. I can have backbiting. I can have tumult. I can have envying and strife. And God, I can have all of these things in my life right now. But you're so holy and righteous that if I'll come to you and ask for forgiveness, that you're faithful and just to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, God. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much. that You didn't just forgive us and wash away all of the sins of our past. But God, when you washed away sins, you washed away every sin committed and every sin that will be committed if we're just faithful to pray. You're faithful to forgive, God. I pray you'd help us, God. Lord, to clean up and get some things right with you, Father. May we be a church, God. For Faith Baptist Church, I pray, may we be the church that you can use in a mighty way. God, I pray that we'd be a blessing to this community and around the world. I ask you to increase our footprint. I pray, God, that the the power of God would live in us, but that the love of Christ would live through us, that people would see us as a light, God, a help for the hurting and a hope for the hopeless. God, I ask you to make us usable vessels. Your word that you gave me posted in that for you says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God, I'm calling on you in behalf of Faith Baptist Church. Will you use this church to be a mighty tool in your hands? that we might be found pleasing to you. God, we love you. We trust you. We thank you. God, we give you all praise and glory for your alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.